Truth Espresso episode 40, bonus episode. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello everyone, this is Daniel Minnick, your host of Truth Espresso, and I thought that I would introduce a bonus episode for Tuesday, March 31st. So why would I introduce an extra bonus episode for Tuesday, March 31st? Well, amid all of this coronavirus pandemic frenzy and all the disruptions to the economy and businesses being forced to close their doors and either do online activities or restaurants needing to offer pickup and delivery, you may not realize that today, Tuesday, March 31st, 2020, has been deemed by certain activist groups as equal pay day. Now, what is Equal Pay Day? Well, Equal Pay Day is a specific date chosen every year that is represented and calculated by certain statistics by activist groups promoting the so-called gender pay gap or the gender wage gap. So, what is this gender wage gap? Well, this is the statistical calculation of how much men working full-time on average may compare to women working full-time on average. It is an aggregate statistic, and you see figures ranging from, say, 77% to 82% that women allegedly, well, actually, anyway, there's no reason to dispute those statistics. The The facts are the facts. The numbers represent something about reality that women, on average, if you take an aggregate sum of statistics representing women working a certain definition of full-time and their annual salaries, and you add up the total, it ends up being anywhere from, say, 77% to 82% of what the total, the aggregate of what men on average make. And so this is called the gender pay gap. And the idea is that this is a crisis or some kind of level of a problem politically that needs to be rectified, that somehow society needs to iron out this imbalance and work toward getting those amounts to be closer to being equal with each other. And we're not seeing a whole lot about this. We, you know, because of the coronavirus, you're not going to see a bunch of activist women gathering together in the streets and doing some march or protest because we need to be practicing social distancing. And um, a lot of states or municipalities have stay at home mandates. And so 
Um, you might see some cries about closing the gender pay gap on social media and in the news, but it's kind of drowned out by the global pandemic of the coronavirus. But I want to give a little bit of voice to this issue, and so I'm going to make this bonus episode for Equal Pay Day 2020, Tuesday, March 31st. 2020, here is the episode about Equal Pay Day. So, I was looking at a column about the coronavirus, of course, but how the coronavirus pandemic relates to the gender pay gap, because someone needs to be talking about this gender pay gap. And so, there is this article that I was looking at, from the Star Advertiser website, StarAdvertiser.com, and the column is entitled, Close Gender Pay Gap, Especially Now During the Coronavirus Crisis. And I will provide a link to this article in the show notes. And so, to quote the Star Advisor in this article, Quote, according to AAUW's research on the gender pay gap, the simple truth about the gender pay gap, women make about 80 cents for every dollar paid to a man, unquote. And so that's one of the statistics. As I said earlier, it can range anywhere in the given year or the given metrics of the particular study. It can range from 77, often 78%, to 82%, and a lot of uh, sites might round that to about 80. So, on average, women make about 80 cents for every dollar that a man makes. And so, the question of this is, why? Does this mean that companies are actually paying women who do the exact same job as men, 80% of what they pay the men to do the exact same work. Now, there are people who think that this is what the gender pay gap represents. But even the ones, the activists actually proposing and pushing the gender pay gap issue, they're not advocating that that's really what's going on. They're not saying that this figure represents businesses paying women less to do the exact same work with the exact same experience as men with the same job title. That's not what they're saying. And of course, for obvious reasons, that would not be feasible because think about it. I mean, the same people, the same kind of leftist politics that would push this issue also believe that businesses are greedy, that a lot of corporations, a lot of businesses, they like to cut costs as much as they can. If they can get away with it, they can charge exorbitant prices for the goods or services they sell. They are greedy profiteering. And so, if they can get away with it, they would pay their workers a penny a day. But, you know, thanks to unions in the government and so on and so forth, they are forced to pay begrudgingly people 
a little bit closer to what their labor is actually worth. But let's go back to the gender pay gap. If businesses were actually paying women only 80% of what they were paying men, if they were saving 20% as they pay women's salaries to do the exact same work as their male counterparts, then why would they even pay men to begin with? I mean, someone, you'd think someone would have the brilliant idea and pitch it to the CEO of the business and say, hey, you know where we could really cut costs? Let's fire all the men and replace them with women because we could save 20% on wages that way. And this would be a win-win situation. I mean, if we fired all the men and saved on the cost of paying men, you know, the discrimination to be men and we like to pay men more, but, you know, here's this bright idea. Just fire all the men and hire women to replace them. And we would save a lot of money, but we would also win in politics by saying that we employ more women than any other firm. I mean, how could they lose? Why hasn't anyone been smart enough to do that if that were the case? As I said, there are some people who actually think that this is what's going on, That's that women are being discriminated against. And I would say that if businesses are as greedy as you think they are, they would give women all the jobs and save money. So that's obviously not what's going on. They wouldn't be hiring men purely out of misogyny and paying them more just because they like to see men's faces. (laughs) So that's not what's going on. So what really is going on? Well, if you take the aggregate which is what this gender wage gap is, you would realize that these are quite the aggregates. They, they don't really communicate a lot of specific information. I mean, the whole full-time issue is working 35 hours per week or more. And that fills quite the range of work. I mean, someone could be working 80 hours a week and they're just lumped into those statistics with other people who have very flexible schedules who are working 35 hours a week. So how is that really a realistic figure? Even if the statistics are true, they are truly mathematical statistics. You have the total here for women. You have the total here for men. You divide one into the other and you end up with 80%. That's a true figure. The question is, what do these statistics actually mean when we disaggregate them? Now, to quote this article again, close the gender pay gap, especially now during the coronavirus. Further down in the article toward the end, quote, Finally, the front line of the fight against coronavirus is mostly female, 
or soon will be, since 2015, women have made up the majority of overall medical students across the country, according to the Association of American Medical Colleges. In the nursing field, women fill an overwhelming majority of the jobs at 87% in 2018, according to research done by the Washington Center for Equitable Growth, unquote. So, the article correctly points out that there are far more female nurses than there are male nurses. And nursing especially is in very high demand in these times with the coronavirus. And so, you have a lot of women now as nurses risking their health and their safety trying to care for all these people in the hospitals. Now, I definitely get that. Believe me, I sincerely get that. There are truly more women nurses than men, and I have seen some of my friends on social media talk about the situation who work as nurses, and they're truly courageous, and they have a, a a, a very good heart to do what they do. My heart grieves for my friends who are nurses, who I know from college, who are in this situation. But did anyone force them to be nurses? That is still the choices, is still represented by the choices that they make. And some of these women still desire to be nurses. They are fighting a battle, and that's out of the, the heart that God gave them to be nurses. This is still the choice that these women made to become nurses. So, who is forcing all these women into the nursing profession? Or did they actually desire it and work hard to graduate and pass the exams to get these jobs? Now, let's also consider another factor that goes into these jobs. Let's think of all the tools that nurses can use in their medical care. All, think about all the advanced medical technology available. Think of all the hospital buildings and the electrical circuitry and equipment that these nurses use. Who designed all that? Who created all that? Think of the construction workers who built the hospital buildings. Think of the civil engineers who needed to design the plans for these buildings. Think of all the mechanical engineers needed for some of the equipment, the electrical engineers needed for the lights to work and the electricity to flow in these hospital buildings. And think of the chemical engineers who designed a lot of the chemical-related equipment. Now, we're going to look at some statistics a little bit later in this episode, but can you guess who dominates the fields that actually are involved in creating this so that nurses can do their jobs? Well, these are mostly men who did this. So, according to this article, it is insisting that we close the gender pay gap, and especially now, during the coronavirus crisis. So, we as citizens have an obligation to close this gap. How do we do this? Do we need to lobby our legislators to 
do something, as it were, about this injustice. Well, what could they do? What could we do? Do we intervene in the choices people make? Should the government force LeBron James to stop playing some amazing basketball and getting paid millions of dollars to work as a store clerk so we can help even the economic scales between men and women? Now, if a wife desires the freedom that she and her husband agreed for her to be a housewife or to work part-time to take care of kids and have a flexible, minimized job schedule while her wealthy CEO husband manages a business, should the government force her to work a certain kind of full-time job? You know, force her to work more or a job that demands more of, from her and makes her less available for the kids? Should the government force that husband to resign from that company and even risk having the company shut its doors so that the husband can get a flexible secretarial job? Is this how we want to close the gender wage gap? I mean, that's one way to do it, but would the husband be better off? Would the wife be better off? Would the kids be better off? Would the economy be better off if we saw fewer businesses and fewer skills being allowed to work the way they've chosen to make ends meet and chosen to produce for the economy just for the sake of some kind of equality. As I said, a lot of these differences are voluntary choices various men and women make as they view the future that they intend. What is one differentiating factor that can affect or that can contribute to this gender wage gap? Well, one of those factors is a choice of college major and career. Now, this is not any kind of conspiracy. This is truth. People make choices. And I'm going to look at an article that actually lists a ta lists tables of the top choices for careers of men and women and how different they are and how they are different on pay scales and you can probably figure out why as you look at the different career choices so on average now of course you know you can always point out some of the people who are above average who are not quite average you could say well that's not true i know a woman who is a construction worker or works on an oil rig or who is an electrical engineer or things like that of course that's true no one is belittling that no one is saying that's not a good thing all I'm saying is let choices be choices. There's nothing suppressing or determining these choices. These are just the choices that people make. But choices have consequences. And if you like the choice, you deal with how your choice determines the factors. Uh, now, on average, as I said, I have to say those words, on average women are more child-oriented and nurturing than men. And so, this personality trait often manifests itself, on average, in certain career choices. 
According to an article called Which Majors Have the Highest Concentrations of Men Versus Women, written by contributor Terry Williams for the website goodcall.com, and I will provide a link to this one in the show notes. Terry Williams provides tables from a Georgetown University study. And we're going to look at these tables. So what are the top 10 professions or careers that are dominated by women? So going in descending order from highest female concentration to lowest female concentration. Number one, early childhood education, 97% female. And the average annual salary is 36000 Number two, medical assisting services, 96% female. Average annual salary, 56000 Number three, school student counseling, 94% female. Annual salary, 53000 Number four, communication disorders, sciences, and services, 94% female, 40000 a year. Number five, library science, 93% female, 55000 a year. Number six, family and consumer sciences, 93% female, $40,000 a year. Number seven, nursing, 92% female, 60000 a year. Number eight, elementary education, 91% female, 40000 a year. Number nine, nutrition sciences, 89% female, 46000 a year. And number ten, special needs education, 88% female, $42,000 a year. So, besides nursing, nursing is the top earning of this list, and I would definitely say that nursing is a very good profession that women go into that is in high demand and is highly skilled and technically skilled, scientifically skilled, but, you know, it pays more than these other ones for good reason. But notice how many of these professions are geared toward caring for children. Now, of course, children need care. No one's knocking that. No one is in any way saying that these professions are not needed. They are very much needed. There's a lot of need for teaching young children or elementary age children or special needs children. So why are they paid so low? Well, because there are far more women who get into these careers than the demand actually requires. So you have a lot of women who go to college for these majors and then they struggle trying to get a job in these areas because there's so much competition to get employed in these professions because there are so many women vying for these jobs. And when you have a huge supply of over of qualified candidates for these positions, they bid down the prices. They bid down the salaries. And so I'm not saying that these professions don't involve hard work and don't involve a lot of 
care and don't involve a lot of heart. They do. It's just a function of supply and demand. And since so many women are vying for these jobs, the ones who do get those jobs that get hired are the ones who are willing to work for less or to work part-time or, or are willing to intern finally to get a full-time job in these positions. It's just a fact of economics. That is why these professions pay less. They also, except for nursing or me- different medical professions that require you to study a lot of medical terminology and know how to care for people medically and technically, a lot of these don't require a lot of high-level math or analytical thinking in complex algorithms. So now let's look at the table of male-dominated professions, the top 10 that are concentrated mostly male. Number one, naval architecture and marine engineering, 97% male, $82,000 a year. Number two, mechanical engineering related technologies, 94% male, $64,000 a year. Number three, military technologies, 93% male, and the salary is not listed in this table in this article. Number four, construction services, 92% male, $70,000 a year. Number five, electrical and mechanical repairs and technologies, 91% male, $57,000 a year. Number six, nuclear engineering, 91% male, $104,630 a year. Number seven, industrial production technologies, 91% male, $65,000 a year. Number eight, mechanical engineering, 90% male, $80,000 a year. Number nine, mining and mineral engineering, 90% male, $80,000 a year. And number 10, electrical engineering technology, 90% male, $68,000 a year. So there are two things that we can notice about this list of male-dominated fields. Number one, they are highly technical. And number two, they pay a lot more than most of the fields in the female-dominated list. The only one that pays more from the female list is nursing than a few of these ones in the male list. Now, do you think this is just because businesses prefer to pay men more for the sake of being men? No, those who work in these fields earn more because there are fewer of them And they exhibit technical skills to design products or provide services that are in high demand but low supply. Remember, this is a function of supply and demand. These fields provide goods and services that are vitally needed for our industrialized growing economy. But it's very difficult work and it requires a lot of mental strain and math skills 
to be able to succeed in these fields. And proportionally, there are not as many people willing to go through the rigorous educational platform to graduate and practice in these fields as there are in something like early childhood education. Now, what I'm saying, this is not a knock on women at all. This is not the patriarchy going on. This is simply supply and demand and market functions at work in the way things actually generate wealth. And a lot of the women in the other professions make use of many of the things that are designed and built by mostly men in these technical professions. Think of the laptops, uh, PowerPoint presentations, all, all the technology even that educational professions use and rely on to teach students, these are created by the technical professions. You know, and I'm, of course, I'm not cheerleading men here. I want to make clear, I would love to have more women in technical professions if they're willing to do it. But, you know, just proportionally, it's just the nature of the way a lot more women think more about family issues and nurturing children than for like studying complex math or algorithms or sitting in front of a computer typing out code. You know, there are women, you know, of course, as these statistics show, there are women in those fields. And do you think that a woman working in nuclear engineering is going to get paid 30000 a year because she's a woman? No, she's going to get paid as much as the man is because, because supply and demand dictate that. So, the choice of college major and career is a factor that differentiates the wages that people earn. And women just happen to dominate, based on their choices, a lot more lower paid professions and men, based on their choices, just so happen to dominate higher paying, more technical professions. But what is the biggest factor now in this gender wage gap? Well, marriage and children make a world of difference. According to the article by Terry Williams, quote, Dr. Peggy Shaduk, District Director of the Dallas County Community College STEM Institute, adds, quote, There is a complex cultural and social history associated with the roles of men and women in society. That history is a major influence on our gender identities, and therefore some of the decisions we make when we identify with a gender group, unquote, from Shaduk. Now, continuing the article, according to Shaduk, these gender identification decisions are impacted by a society's economic conditions, religious traditions, and other cultural factors. Quote from Peggy Shaduk, most of us who are in the world of higher education deal with the consequences of this and work to slowly make inroads toward changing the culture, unquote she says, unquote from the article. So what is this article saying? It's saying we choose to identify with a gender group and then history and culture have molded certain identity or gender groups or those who identify with them 
to associate certain types of professions. And so that's allegedly something that we can change just by political activism. But wait a minute, choose some of the decisions we make when we identify with a gender group? You mean someone just decides to identify as a woman and then therefore by intentionally identifying that way then decides to go into early childhood education or gets pregnant? Is that what this article is suggesting? I know this whole identity politics and critical theory and gender identity stuff has really taken off today, but no one chooses to have the biology of, of a woman that makes her get pregnant, or the biology of a husband who works to take care of a wife who gets pregnant. This is not choosing to identify with a certain gender identity or gender group. But let's consider one of the aspects of this gender group. How about the fact that pregnancy actually has economic impact? Notice from the article, when we identify with a gender group, unquote, Yes, part of quote-unquote identifying with a gender group is when a couple decide to have kids. Let's give an example of how, you know, pregnancy affects things economically. Let me give a really ridiculous example. For example, if a monster hailstorm destroys crops or a drought makes living more expensive, no one could just wave a legal magic wand and make things easier for everyone. Someone will be working harder to make do with less production. Now, I'm not comparing pregnancy or caring for a baby (laughs) with a drought or anything. I'm just making a point. Things can happen, or, you know, even the choice to have children is a voluntary choice that should recognize that, you know, pregnancy causes a break from the workforce necessarily. I mean, you know, no woman would should really want to give birth on the job, <laughs> you know, Uh, The point is obvious. Getting pregnant has its complications. You know, you have morning sickness. You need to take care of your body to take care of the child in the womb and prepare for delivery. And there's disruption to work. Now, if women want to make as much as men on the aggregate, on average, then they could pursue careers in engineering and medical careers like surgery, though they make a lot, whether men, male or female, or software development and other highly scientific and technical fields. And there are some who do this. There are some women at even my work who do software development. And I knew in college women who were in engineering and software development who were very smart and uh, have successful careers as a result of that it's possible but if if you're willing if you want to bridge the wage gap it's all a matter of personal choice you shouldn't deny someone else their choice 
Now, so women could choose to go into these careers if they want to make as much as the typical man or, you know, on average that the typical man makes according to the statistics in which they dominate these careers, they could get into those fields and they could also vow never to have children. So, problem solved, right? Now, of course, we'd recognize that that would be a problem and fewer children would mean that the next generation would suffer dramatically. And so we all recognize the need to have children. And so to have children, both men, both women and men need to make the necessary sacrifices and accommodations to take care of the next generation. So, consider this. Mere wages don't necessarily dictate individual benefit. When a wife lives more at home while the husband works, it's not as if she is not earning anything at all. Consider how this works economically. The husband is earning the money and he is essentially paying the wife with some of his earnings. In this, the husband who is earning for the house has less of his own earnings at his disposal, and much more of it can end up paying for the needs of his wife and children than even his own. But that can often be why men pursue such difficult careers that can require a toll on their physical bodies or brains. Think of people who work in the trades. That can have... Uh, a toll on their physical body, and they can work long hours, but the trades make a lot of money. And so a lot of men who think about having a family go for those trades, and they can make a lot of money for their family, and they work hard in those difficult, dirty careers, and then eventually they'll have enough money to save up for their retirement or children's education or so that, you know, when the children are grown, you know, they and their wives can, you know, enjoy their golden years. But it is in the nature of men to provide for others. So why stifle this or encourage them to provide less? So what about disaggregating those statistics? We mention choices of careers. We mention the factor of marriage and family and having kids. And it's a biological fact that you can't wish away with a legal wand. So here's an article by an analyst named Mark Perry entitled, Details in new BLS report suggest that most of the gender earnings gap is explained by age, marital status, children, hours worked. And this is from AEI.org. I will provide a link to this article in the show notes. So, very quickly, this article takes apart those aggregates because if you don't disaggregate the aggregate statistics provided by the gender wage gap politics, they don't really communicate the full truth. You're left coming to conclusions that you shouldn't come to. So disaggregating those statistics according to Mark Perry, and these statistics are provided by the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. They're not provided by some patriarchal think tank. They're provided by the government. 
So is anyone going to question those? I mean, you know, critics of the government might question them, but if you want to be as least biased as you can be toward leftist political activists, cite statistics provided by a Bureau of the Government. So according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, and Mark Perry disaggregates the statistics that are available from the Bureau of Labor and Statistics report, Men, on average, work longer hours than women. So, you mean if you work longer hours and there's a certain pay rate per hour, you're going to end up earning more total than if you worked fewer hours? Uh, Say it isn't so, but according to the statistics, men, on average, work longer hours than women. And, of course, there are reasons for that. Obviously, one of the reasons is family, children. More than half the gap is represented by the dynamics that marriage and children introduce. So that's biology, not patriarchy. So in conclusion, let us consider this gender wage gap. Is this the patriarchy at work? Am I, as a critic of this gender wage gap movement, a part of the patriarchy? No, I believe that everyone has the freedom to work toward the career of their choice, whether male or female, and to plan for a family or no family, as desired, as long, of course, as you are not oppressing anyone or killing babies in the womb or harming children. But wage gap activists act as if nature is oppression and that the government needs to intervene coercively in people's free choices and dispositions and talents just to make things equal. But what is the cost of this so-called equality? Is this so-called equality even a prize to be won? Would society be better off if we forced such an equality to happen and that these aggregate statistics for the total earnings of men and women working so-called full-time at 35 hours a week or more, if these statistics were equal, would that make society better? Or would such coercion in the free choices of people by nature cause the economy to shrink living conditions to be lessened, and would family well-being be sacrificed in the process? And I'll let you decide that. Thank you for waking up with Truthspresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 